Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bad Hasbara, the world's most moral podcast uh, where I take a look at the magical world of political propaganda from all over the world, specifically Israel. What's up, everyone? Uh, my name is Matt Lieb. Hi. Nice to see you here again. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm uh, always uh, stoked at how many people are actually listening to it. Uh, given that this is a podcast that I started, uh, you know, just because I was mad one night and I was like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta talk about my feelings, and uh, you know, the fact that you guys are joining in me talking about my feelings makes me feel good, and I love it. So thank you, everyone out there who is listening to this podcast, just listening, the ones who are listening on Spotify or on Apple Podcast Store. Thank you so much. You rule, and I love you. For those of you out there watching on YouTube, you rule and I love you as well. Uh, however, this podcast is constantly demonetized. Um, and so uh, the only way that I can make money is usually it's like through the ads on the on the actual uh, on the just the podcast part, you know, the audio like Spotify and stuff. Um, and if you're listening on YouTube, I can't make no money. So uh, just a reminder, we have a Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash bad once again that is here it is in the ticker patreon.com slash bad support us support me support you know uh, my future producer someday i'll have one um support uh, my sometimes co-host daniel mate who uh is going to be back this week talking about stuff with me support please help or whatever um also, once again, Sacramento Punchline, March 17th, that's a Sunday, 7 p.m., me, my wife, Francesca Fiorentini, we're going to be co-headlining. Get your tickets now, please. The link is in the freaking thing. So click that link and, uh, you know, come see us do comedy. It's a lot of fun. It'll be during St. Patty's Day, so you can be drunk if you want. Either way. Uh, and finally, uh, thank you to our mod at Reddit, JP Ben, who uh, he's the moderator for uh, reddit.com uh, slash r slash badhasbara. So subscribe to the Reddit. Share us with us some of your favorite Hasbaras. Those are fun. Uh, and thank you to Adam Levin, who is uh, cutting up clips and helping me, uh, you know, produce the show a bit. Uh, hopefully someday I'll make more money and then I can pay uh, him to be like a producer producer that would be sick okay today we got a quite an episode heavy one fellas uh now all of the episodes thus far have been pretty heavy i mean there's a genocide going on which uh, is not always like the most ripe for comedy like jokes are hard during sad times but i also think are necessary and uh, this week is no different, because uh, this week, as I'm sure all of you have heard or seen uh, now, um, Aaron Bushnell, who was an active duty airman in the U.S. Air Force, set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in D.C. and live streamed it. 
Um, I'm not going to play the video, um, you know, at least the burning part, because uh, that is just, uh, if you've watched it, you know how uh, absolutely horrifying it is. Um, but I will play his statements before he did the act, because uh, I do think it is important for people to uh, understand. And uh, he wanted it to be shown. His reasoning was clear and sound. And uh, if there's one thing you have to, you know, say is uh, he had some real moral clarity in what he was doing, and uh, I have that for you. Is Aaron Bushnell. I am an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. So he then immediately after that uh, poured um, gasoline or some sort of accelerant on himself and uh, lit himself on fire and screamed free Palestine until, as one Twitter user said, his body physically couldn't produce words anymore. Um, this was uh, a gruesome act that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, even people who weren't alive during Vietnam, it, uh, you know, it brought you back to uh, the time when uh, monks and Vietnam set themselves on fire to protest what was going on there. And um, it was uh, really um, both disturbing and um, uh, like wondrous to watch because I'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, and it continued being one of those seminal moments, I think, in this uh, in the past few months, because uh, after you know, while he was burning to death, a um, U.S. Secret Service agent pulled out his gun, literally pulled out his gun and pointed it at him while others were screaming at him, uh, I don't need guns. I need a fire extinguisher. So this is a U.S. Secret Service man pointing a gun at a guy fully engulfed in flames while others are, uh, you know, putting him out with a fire extinguisher and he is keeping that gun on him. He is just, he is it, like, he does not let up as if this guy is going to pull out a gun. It's like one of the most insane things that I've ever seen because it's just like, wh what do you think's going to happen, bro? How much of a pussy do you need to be to point a gun at a guy who's fully on fire? As if you're like, no, I've seen this before in one of my police training videos. It's the old I'm on fire routine. You put yourself on fire, but secretly you got a gun under there and you're going to shoot. These, I swear, the amount of the pussery in American law enforcement is <clears throat> unmatched. Maybe, you know, maybe matched by Israeli... Uh, security forces themselves. Um, but the U.S. <clears throat> government agent not helping put out the fire should come as no surprise to anyone as they reject all forms of ceasefire. Uh, but he said he was considering a humanitarian pause. See, that's a little joke. I have a little joke in there. I gotta write a joke or else I get so sad that I don't want to move. Um, 
So yeah, this I feel like fully encapsulates <laughs> the American foreign policy in the Middle East. Like you see the suffering and death just outside of sovereign Israeli territory and you decide, you know what will help this? Guns. More guns. Let's bring in some guns. I'm sure this will solve any kind of horror that's currently happening in the world. Um, this, by the way, was the second protester to self-immolate in a desperate attempt to protest our country's ongoing complicity in this Gaza genocide. Uh, in December, a woman protesting the war set herself on fire outside the Israeli consulate in Atlanta. Uh, and that's all we know about her. That's literally it. We know she, she was a woman who set herself on fire. We don't have a name. And if you read any of these news articles that came out the day that it happened, these like baffling, bafflingly incurious journalists who reported it, um, they just state that it was a woman set herself on fire uh, and that one of the cops trying to put her out was uh, burned. And that's all we know. There's no follow-up. Uh, there's no nothing. I don't know if she's alive or dead. Um, but the one thing we do know is that the Consul General of Israel to the uh, southeastern U.S., uh, Anat Sultan Dadan, uh, made this statement when it happened. Uh, and I quote here, <clears throat> We are saddened to learn of the self-immolation at the entrance to the office building. It is tragic to see the hate and incitement towards Israel expressed in such a horrific way. The sanctity of life is our highest value. Our prayers are with the security officer who was injured while trying to prevent this tragic act. I just, I love the, is a cop okay? Like I just, it's, it's, it's so callous that you're just like, you, the idea that these people say these words out loud, you, you just, you can only imagine the complete inversion of every narrative that's going on in their mind, where they're looking at a guy or a woman putting, <clears throat> pouring gasoline and setting herself on fire and being like, damn, you must really hate Jews. That's it. That's gotta be what happened. Um, so this story, of course, was quickly buried by Western news media. Uh, there was no doubt that this would have been the case for Aaron Bushnell if he hadn't recorded it and live streamed it on Twitch, and now they can't ignore it. And the fact that it was covered up, uh, that it was, sorry, the fact that it was covered at all seems like kind of a miracle, uh, but that doesn't mean the Hasbara machine and the cowardice and malice of the U.S. news media wasn't also in full effect. Here is a headline from Newsweek um, yesterday trying to spin Aaron as just some crazy guy. Uh, they said uh, in Newsweek right here, Aaron Bushnell death report reveals police call about mental distress. Uh, of course, if you actually read the article, uh, it's not about like some prolonged history of like mental illness, you know, police calls in the past where people are like, I'm worried about Aaron. No, no, no. You literally, in the first sentence of that article, um, it is literally just about the police call that they got that a guy was setting himself on fire. That's what that was. It wasn't like the way that that is framed in Newsweek week is clearly trying to spin him as just some crazy guy. And of course, we're going to see a lot more of that in the coming weeks with regards to Aaron Bushnell. Um, it doesn't stop there. <clears throat> the Washington Post 
had this headline, airman who set self on fire, grew up on religious compound, had anarchist past. Just already ready to smear a guy who was, you know, uh, trying to bring attention to the complicity of the United States in this genocide. Someone who um, showed more bravery than I think 99.9% uh, .9 of anyone in the media class or, you know, honestly, anyone in law enforcement or military that I have seen. Um, and of course, NPR came in with a real banger. NPR never fails to be like the best at being cold and detached. Uh, so they put out an article um, regarding Aaron Bushnell and uh, this was yesterday. Uh, and they said this, as of Monday morning, NPR was not able to independently verify the man's motives. <sighs> what do you have to do? What do you have to do <laughs> to independently? He's made a video of himself lighting himself on fire, screaming free Palestine. And you're sitting there like, well, what did he really mean, though? Like, maybe, like, was that code? Is this about the environment? It's just about, like, you just, you have to be either dumb or malicious to look at that video and be like, I don't know, man. It could have been for any reason. Ugh, what do you fucking need? Like a body language expert? Body is currently on fire. But I suppose we have to be thankful that the news covered it at all uh, with CNN actually saying his last words uh, on camera. Um, you know, they, they actually reported it uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many talking points you get, um, the media cannot resist a spectacle. So, uh, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, and that is why they actually talked about it. And I have a little bit from CNN. What our ruling class has decided will be normal. He then goes on to pour some sort of accelerant, it looks like, on his head out of a water bottle he was carrying. And then he lights himself on fire, Boris. And as the flames engulf him, you can hear him yelling, <clears throat> free Palestine, free Palestine, again and again, until finally he collapses. And that is when officers, you can see them race in, one of them with a fire extinguisher in their hands, trying to put out the flames. We saw a similar incident in December when someone self-immolated, uh, lit themselves on fire outside of the Israeli consulate in Atlanta. But this feels different. This is an active duty member of the military. Late word tonight, President Biden saying late today that there is now hope for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas within days by next Monday. It comes amid a horrific scene outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., a U.S. airman setting himself on fire. So that's an interesting turn of events. Uh, that very night after um, Bushnell um, set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in D.C., um, Biden apparently made the statement that uh, there is a possible ceasefire that is going to happen uh, in a week. Uh, next Monday. And, you know, I, at first, when I saw this, and it was reported everywhere, mostly in headlines, uh, for a second, I almost felt hope. I was like, oh, oh that, that would be great. Are, uh, you know, is this happening? Like, did Aaron Bushnell's final act on Earth cause some sort of change? But then I saw the source of that quote, and folks, 
I, I literally can't prepare you if you haven't seen when Biden said this. I can't. I'll just play the video. He's at an ice cream shop. Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend, I mean, the end of the weekend, at least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Okay, thank you. Okay. Okay. I mean, just look at this old poor crotchety senile genocidal grampy like he can't even eat some ice cream without being asked to stop a genocide it I, just looking at that video it just is so insane i can't help but look at it and just look at his like cowardly callous and cold face this old man eating ice cream and juxtaposing it with aaron bushnell's final act on earth just the photo of Aaron on fire and this fucking old ass man trying to eat his ice cream cone. Just it's, it would be poetic if it wasn't so heavy handed. You know what I mean? Like it's just too on the nose. If there was any justice in this world, the flames of Aaron Bushnell would melt every single ice cream cone that this demented old bat ever tried to shove down his gaping maw. And hopefully there will be justice. But for now, I can just say, uh, Aaron Bushnell, you were a real one. Wish I had known you. Um, and free Palestine, man. Free Palestine. So that is today's main subject. Uh, and now I'm going to bring in our guest. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone else, we have a great guest today. Uh, this is a dear friend of mine, a fellow Los Angeles Jew, co-founder of the Jewish anti-apartheid group, If Not Now, and recently uh, featured in this new documentary called Israelism, which I suggest everyone see. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone else, our guest today is Simone Zimmerman. Hey. Oh, What's you're up? muted. There you are. I'm What's here. up? How are you doing, Simone? Well, I'm really sad after hearing your intro. yeah no my intro is not it wasn't... i mean i was sad anyways but you know <laughs> yeah i tend to make it worse yeah by reporting on it i wish i didn't have to but uh you know someone's got to do it and i feel like uh if there's anyone who can relate to that it's you simone it is you are someone I, see you. I resonate very deeply yeah you're someone who um you know i've i've known uh, first, like for a long time, first as someone, um, you know, from If Not Now, uh, I would see your uh, posts and, you know, I, I uh, was involved um, with it, if not, <clears throat> if not Now for uh, a bit. I did like a training session with them and I've always uh, very much respected that group. Uh, and then um, recently, uh, you know, I think we met up for the first time like two years ago or... I, I forget when, but uh, you're just a badass. You're you're uh, one of my favorite people, and you're someone who's been doing this work for a long time. Uh, and I want to ask you um, about that and how you how you got into it. Um, how this is, you know, uh, how your life led you down the path of uh, Jewish resistance to Israeli apartheid. Yeah, and I, I'll just say, you know, I. Uh 
feel like I saw you on Twitter. I saw those videos, your George Soros anti-Semitism video. Oh, yeah. I was like, that guy knows what's up. I got to know this guy. <laughs> yeah. How is yeah. there a left-wing Jew who has the exact same thoughts as me, but is way funnier than me, and I don't know him. So I would like to change that. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. That's, that's what brings us together. It's funny because I... Uh, Whenever, you know, I have uh, guests on this podcast and uh, I'm always, it's always very funny how many people are like, oh, damn, you you know, the the people you know are people that I know independently of this show and you seem to know them personally. And it's like, yeah, you have to understand the Jewish anti-Zionist, you know, yes. like <laughs> sphere is tiny, tiny, tiny. Like there's a lot of us, uh, you know, I think um, doing the work, but in terms of like you know, uh, I don't know. It's just like, we all kind of know each other, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, we, it's been a, a group of people. I can't decide if I want to validate that. Cause you know, they like, they want to make us look really small and marginal. Right. And I'm like, we're growing. There are so many of us. Well, there's been more now more so than ever, which has been the great thing. But I think, you know, for a long time, I think it's not crazy to say that uh our voices were the most marginalized and i think uh not maybe not the most marginalized <laughs> not more so than palestinians um or or arab voices in the united states but in terms of this uh the press that uh was received by anyone who was talking about israel it was for the most part it had to be you know it was you find all of your uh, institutional Jewish community talking about it and be, you know, and, and supporting Israel to the hilt and they would pretend like we didn't exist. So we all kind of gravitated towards each other because we were talking about it publicly. And, uh, totally. and, and I feel like, uh, you and if not now, um, deserves, you know, a lot of credit for normalizing, uh, the idea of the anti-occupation, uh, anti-apartheid, or anti-Zionist or non-Zionist Jewish person in the United States. So, good job. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, you know, there. Also, hearing you say this, I'm like, there are people who are out there who faced way bigger costs than I did. Oh, sure. They of were. They were. Out, you know, people who were in JBP. You know, ten years before. One hundred I mean, they were getting crazy attacks. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the Jewish establishment works very hard to attack anybody who doesn't toe the line, who has any sort of, you know, I mean, I was 25 working for the Bernie Sanders campaign for five days. And, right. you know, some of the most powerful figures in American Jewish institutional life made it a point to go out of their way and say, you know, this person should be here. Yeah. yeah. Like as if they had any credibility to comment, like that's what always cracked me up about it. Like, oh yeah, like Abe Foxman <laughs> cared about the success of the Sanders campaign. Right. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. Like mm. as if as if Abe Foxman wasn't already calling Bernie Sanders a self-hating. Yeah, yeah. Jew. They're like, you know, from our deep interest in the well-being of the like nascent progressive <laughs> movement, you know, the growing youth-led mm -hmm. all all things I, you know, have a deep track record of investment in. <laughs> right. Yeah. And no, if yeah. they truly, you know, believed in what they were saying, you know, uh they would be like they would leave the Bernie Sand Sanders campaign alone completely. They would just be like, yeah, that's just some fringe anti no, you know, no one's going to, you know, uh, fall for, for that stuff. But I think they saw, you know, um, this as a threat to uh, the narrative about what Jews are supposed to be like in the United States. And yeah, you know. but you've, you know, you've, you've faced uh, 
a, a multitude of consequences. I, you know, at, at one point I saw a um, a video uh, where you had been detained at the Egyptian border um, for hours, uh, being questioned by uh, Israeli, you know, soldiers about your political leanings and whatnot. Um, I mean, it seems like you're someone who has put yourself, uh, you know, at like grievous personal risk, uh, uh, multiple times. And, uh, I, I want, you know, I want to hear how you got to that place, especially, you know, given your history, um, like how did you go from, you know, who, uh, someone who was grown up supporting Israel to someone who had their eyes open? Yeah. Um, well, it kind of all started for me when I was an undergrad at UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've been obviously like reflecting a lot on all of this because of the film and the film talks about a lot of those experiences that I had. And, you know, I had kind of two, uh, seemingly, I thought these were complementary goals. When I went to college, I was like, I chose to go to UC Berkeley because I wanted to meet people who were different than me. Right. I, you know, I grew up in a very insular Jewish community in LA, Jewish day school, Jewish summer camp, Jewish youth group. Yeah. And I was like, I should probably meet some other people <laughs> that aren't yeah. just Jew Jews from LA. Yeah. And, um, but I also thought that I was going to go do Israel advocacy. So I was like, I'm going to make these friends from different backgrounds and then I'm going to teach them the truth about Israel and I'm going to bring them over <laughs> Hell to yeah. the good side. You yeah. know, like I once we it. talk, they'll have a good chat with me and uh, I will fix it. Yeah, yeah, and... yeah. Yeah, the thing is, is, you know, like they haven't yet heard these boilerplate Israeli <laughs> Hezbollah talking points from you before, you know? Correct. Yeah, yes. And yeah. I am particularly, You're... you know... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm particularly, I, you know, I, I mean, I have to say like when I revisit some of the, both like my own memories, but also just footage and stories, there's a, there's something very painful about realizing like how, how ignorant I was, but also how arrogant I was about it, because that's kind of the, like, that's part of the indoctrination strategy is to say, you know, you know, you know the truth and you're going to go teach people the truth, even if you have no idea what you're talking about. Right. And like are totally ill-equipped to have these conversations. So, you know, I remember the first time that I, you know, had a conversation with a friend about Israel and I was like, I, I busted out all the best hits, you know. Mm. Um, I, I'd been wait. I was like, this is my moment. I'm here. I'm yes. doing it. You know, I'm saying we were here first and they have, you know, all these 20 something other countries to go to. And mm -hmm. like, you know, they just want to kill us all. And and then she like had more questions for me because she, you know, read the news and had questions about things she was reading. And I right. was like, oh, shit, like I'm out, you know, and I remember. <laughs> You're just reaching into the Hasbara bag of talking points. You go, kind of exhausted this. Did I mention that we were there first? Did yes. I, I, already did I mean, okay. that's, yes, that's like, you know, I, I, <laughs> it's serious, but it's also completely absurd. Yeah. Like this is really um, part of what happens. And I remember, you know, um, the the really formative moment for me my freshman year was this um, d debate that we had about divestment from two, the, the, mm -hmm. there was a, a, a bill in the student government that was calling on the university to, to divest from two American companies that had profited off of 
the 2008-2009 assault on Gaza. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first of all, it's just like worth, uh, I feel like I, I, I have to say like, wow, that's crazy that like people were like, we shouldn't, that, you know, the idea that like we shouldn't support American weapons manufacturers like already, yeah. like, there should be some red flags there. Yeah. Um, but alas, um, this was, you know, framed to me just as an anti-Israel bill. Right. And I remember when I was part of, you know, part of this group that was called on to come to the very first hearing before the bill even made it to the floor of the student government. And there were these two graduate students who were in Students for Justice in Palestine, and they had these giant stacks of papers. It's like a very vivid memory for me. Yeah. And they just like, they had the case ready. You know, this is what it was like to be uh, living in Gaza during that assault. Yeah. And, you know, these are, this is the number of death. This is exactly what these weapons were used for. Um, I believe one of the companies was also, I think it was, um, I'm going to mess this up, whatever. One of the companies like manufactured the Apache helicopters that dropped white phosphorus. Mm -hmm. And I believe the other one was involved in the surveillance that was used at checkpoints. Wow. Um, HP, HP and United Technologies, I think. Mm -hmm. um, or General Electric and United Technologies. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll look it matter. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it matters, but also doesn't matter, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but so there, you know, and they were, they were detailing like all these very vivid, you know, descriptions, and stories and like factual evidence compiled by human rights organizations about what the reality for Palestinians in the occupied territories was. Yeah. And I, all I had with me was, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like I had an Alan Dershowitz article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a, like, I had an Alan Dershowitz article that was like, these are the reasons why <laughs> you shouldn't divest from Israel. And <laughs> I just, just the idea of like, it's like showing up, you know, I would say it's like showing up with a knife to a gunfight, but this is like showing up with like a banana that you're going to put in your hand and go pew, 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 pew. Yeah, this is where we have to laugh about it a little bit, you know, yeah. and I just like, I mean, also I like grew to know these characters. So like, I mean, one of these grad students was like an incredibly thoughtful yeah. Israeli, Israeli, by the way, Israeli yeah. anti-Zionist, like really had been deeply invested in his learning and activism for many, many, many years. And then it was like us, these kids from Hillel who literally had like, you know, a one pager about like, okay, our turn. So, uh, you know, well, it's a double standard. Uh, why are you singling out Israel and not any of these other countries? Uh, mm -hmm. well, you know, and, and like, it's, it, it, what's interesting to me about it too was that it, you know they showed a little bit of this um, in the documentary uh, that you're featured yeah. in Israelism, and one of the things that uh, I I think was shown on that like one sheet was <clears throat> like tone directions like like they were like be emotional. So this is yeah. So this is another thing. Yeah. That was basically after the bill passed mm -hmm. it passed like in the student government and then there was this big lobbying campaign uh that included you know jewish organizations in the bay area it also mm -hmm. included the israeli consul general himself involved mm. in this lobby effort yeah um that you know was really i think 
miserable and intimidating to the like student government leaders who had all this intense pressure on them. Sure. And, um, and so before the next hearing where we were having these debates about whether or not the student government would veto, override the veto, the student body president's veto, um, they gave out these papers that gave us guidance about, you know, what to say, how to say it. We had an agreed set of talking points and, you know, I think again, there's a, there's a little bit of a, I guess, lack of self-awareness or carelessness, Sure. but I mean, we left these papers behind. They were all over the floor. Some organizers picked them up and they were featured in a movie that was made. This was a movie made like, uh, over a decade ago about these divestment hearings specifically. Oh, wow. And I mean, I mean, what's interesting, I, I just I love the there's the normalization of this kind of like, um, <clears throat> you know, has bar a handbook stuff where um, you are so uh, it's just seen as so normal that you would have like, you know, the Israeli consul general, uh, you know, showing up and giving you like, here's how to win an argument. Yeah. Um that you you don't even question like well if i already feel passionately about this like i should be able to win an argument on its merits and not so much uh need the um you know need a like why are you teaching me how to win this argument like the, the why am i responsible as a as a kid for your pr and for being the face of this fight and uh you know you know i think well, it's just like you don't even question it you're yeah but go on well I, I was just gonna say that i you know i'm gonna connect a dot to something that you just that you said in the intro that just mm -hmm. like absolutely horrifying statement from the israeli consulate about the woman who lit herself on fire outside that you know mm -hmm. it's so sad that people just hate israel so much right like there there's a way that there's a way in which um, first of all, I, I actually think they're not trying to win the argument on the merits. They're, yeah. they're not, I, I, I'm not even convinced they're like trying to, they're trying to win the argument, but definitely not on its merits. Sure. They're not engaging directly in the argument and, right. and the, and the kind of, you know, the message that, that I got growing up in this, you know, very pro-Israel community was that like, there's this very intense like paranoia and distrust of anybody who's outside of the community and and the, and you get told that there are all these efforts you know to delegitimize and to demonize israel that are unfair and and biased and and this and that and so before you even like engage critically you don't have to think critically at all about the right. substance of what anyone's saying because you already know that it's wrong Right. You already know that it's an attack on you. You know that it's going to make you unsafe. And so you just have to fight it. And so when that's like, you know, and so that's like, I, I feel, I, I obviously cringe watching this older footage of myself, but I, I also feel like I have to have some compassion for sure. like my own ignorance of like, I was doing what I was told, which was to go and defend my people. Mm -hmm. And and, and then like actually what was the transformative experience for me was sitting in these student government hearings and listening to literally two hours of testimony from Palestinian students who talked about their own experiences yes. with Israeli occupation and apartheid. I mean, these stories are like seared into my memory. I will never forget them in my life. Like I remember what some of these people look like, you know, 
what you know what it was like uh that that you know that your family members couldn't sleep for weeks while the bombs were falling overhead in gaza what it is like to be beaten at a checkpoint you know there was a student who said my shoulders never been the same since i was beaten at a checkpoint and another student who talked about being detained in the airport when he goes to visit his family like these and i remember sitting there and like having a moment with myself where i was like there's no way all of these people are lying. Right. Like these are my my peers. Like we go to we go to we're on the same campus right now. Like I don't know. These people seem pretty reasonable. Like also yeah. our side is not responding at all to anything they're talking about. There's yeah. got to be something else going on here. Yeah. And and I started asking people questions like why aren't we responding? And even like I'll just add another layer onto this. So like you mentioned these talking points, we were told to say, you know, I feel silenced by my student government. I feel unsafe. I feel uncomfortable. And people, before we could even make these talking points, they would get up and debunk them. And they would hold up a mirror to us. And there was one student who got up and said, you know, Jewish students, you're talking about feeling silenced and marginalized on campus. Meanwhile, your communal institutions are actively in the process of passing red lines that forbid critical conversations inside their buildings. Right at that time, the San Francisco JCRC was writing its red lines policy that became like a precedent that many other Jewish organizations across the country then adopted, barring, you know, critical voices, anti-Zionist Palestinians from being heard, even like from allowing those events to to happen inside the building. And there was even a video of, um, the head of APAC's campus department who said, we're going to get pro-Israel students to take over the student government and reverse the vote. That's how APAC operates in our nation's capital. And that's how we need to operate on our nation's campuses. And that video went viral on campus. Like I had been there at the conference, you know, applauding. And then people were all of a sudden were like, excuse me. And (laughs) this was like all these moments of- (laughs) You guys are planning a coup on camera? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It, it, it is it's wild you know to see kind of like the the difference in rhetoric you said something about like you know it, it can't be possible that all these people are lying and i think uh that it resonates with me for sure um because i also look at like you know when people say like you know someone might respond with like oh well you know uh, all these like uh, the zionists out there are are lying what about you know they say that Zionists are all liars. What I see, at least in my life, has been <clears throat> not Zionists, uh, you know, personally, uh, that I know, um, people who are, they're other things first and Zionists second, you know. Um, the, the I don't see them lying. I see them reverting back to a broad, um, like, uh, overlook of the entire Middle East conflict um whenever an argument that is personalized is brought forth so someone you know gives a personal experience uh like an anecdote about something that happened to them uh being a palestinian student or like living in palestine living in uh, the west bank or living in gaza and talks about their experience or the experience of their families and then people um you know like myself like yourself you know when we were younger like people that we've known not trying to debunk that claim, but looking at it at this more broad picture of like, well, it's important to remember that 
you know, historically X, Y, and Z happened and this and that. And then you bring up like, you know, hey, Shimon Perez was going to give you a state and you said no. And, you know, uh, and you, you start like trying to give a history lesson to not to so much justify what's happening to that person in their experience, um, but to change the subject to being about like something broader, something more, something bigger than just you at a checkpoint. And so it's it's not so much uh, th that they are constantly lying to you. It's that it's like we're we're lying to ourselves in order to like come to be to sleep at night. Honestly, like to to be comfortable with the realities that we have chosen to you know <laughs> to live in, and those realities are not often based in reality. But, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're completely right about that. But it's and it's also like they're not com they're not consistent in that strategy. So like oh, at yeah. the same time as like you know a personal anecdote of a Palestinian living under occupation is you know has to have all this like bigger context. You know, one Jewish student who had yes. a really uncomfortable experience on a college campus, yes. or is like you know freaked out by having to hear things that contradict their worldview, yes. like is worthy of being a national headline. Right, right. And, yeah. So it, it, it's 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 a crazy level of just like detachment from, I don't know. It's I, I would say it's a, a detachment from like empathy for for others um but it's also i think like it speaks to a um uh a level of like how do i, I want to say like programming and sort of um i mean almost cult like programming that goes on throughout you know childhood where the these talking points are just so burned into you that to have them challenged especially given that you know that worldview is based on your own um personal like victimhood like this idea of like anyone being against israel is just so insane to you because it's like saying you're against jews it's like you're saying you're against me so like when someone challenges that you know it's not so much that they're like it's it sounds like it's like the first time you deal with anti-semitism that's that's what it feels like that's what you've been programmed to believe is happening the first time you hear someone say like israel is bad or israel is the bad guys you're just like i've never heard someone say something anti-semitic before and you feel like your own personal experience is almost um equivalent to someone who's like i was physically beaten at a checkpoint and my shoulder doesn't work anymore you're like yeah well you know one time i heard someone say something that my dad said wasn't real so we all have our struggles you know what i'm saying i i do know what you're saying i mean i i i'll, I'll say it. this actually made me think about that i had an experience literally in one of these divestment hearings where at the end of it a guy turned around to me and my friend and was like you guys still killed jesus and I was like, whoa, yeah. like that was actually like the first yeah. real anti-Semitic yeah. thing that had ever been said to me in my life. Yeah. But I, I remember at that moment, I was like, and this is why all of this is wrong. Right, right. You know, yes. like yes. not, whoa, there's a guy, like there's a dude in here who happens. And and like, you know, I mean, this is even happening 
even happened to me recently at a at an Israelism screening where sure. a guy came up to me afterwards and said something super anti-Semitic to me. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I was like, actually really glad that, you know, the film talks about the prevalence of, of anti-Semitic ideas and movements in this country today. And that like, you know, I'm very proud that the work I do includes, you know, teaching people about you know, a progressive analysis of anti-Semitism, being sure that like, as we speak out for Palestinian freedom and liberation, that we understand the ways that like anti-Semitism, you know, can get used to derail these movements, that mm -hmm. understanding it and like fighting anti-Semitism is like a core part of our work for safety and liberation for all people. Yeah. And I remember, and like, I think some people will take all of that to be like, Palestinians just have to deal with it, you know? Right. Like, that's not my problem, or we'll use any of these these moments to kind of wholesale delegitimize an entire movement. You know, I, I and it's just so it's so cynical and it's so gross. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I think that's it's one of the reasons. Um, like, I don't know. Uh, it's not. It's one of the reasons I started doing this podcast. Um, was uh, well, number one, I've wanted to do this podcast for a while. Actually, it's you're um, someone who is um, can back up my claim about how long have I, I been can. talking about I can. doing this you podcast? You were talking about it, and I was like, do it. Yeah, and, and now here we are. Yeah, for for a long time, this is something that I wanted to do, but I was I was like, I just want someone else to do it. So that I can listen to it because it's a subject that interests me a lot, but it's also a subject that takes a lot of time and a lot of research and also a lot of emotional energy that, you know, I don't I, I don't have like I don't have it now and I'm doing this podcast. But, you know, I, I, I I'm doing it just because at this point, it's the only thing that's keeping me sane. Um, but uh, but yeah. Hey everyone, Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th. Why March 17th, you ask? Well, <laughs> because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline, and now I'm asking for you to... Do it again. That's right. If you're in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th, 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesack.com and uh, buying your tickets. Do it. And if you can't go, hey, maybe you have friends who are in the area and you you know, you can tell them like, hey, you like comedy. Come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife who also does a podcast. It'll be great. So yes, please come. Sacramento Punchline, March 17th. That's a Sunday at 7 p.m. Come, enjoy, laugh, love. All right. Uh, one of the reasons that I started this podcast um, was because of the fact that I think like some, uh, you know, the, the fact is, is that this conflict, this subject, um, 
I think does have the potential to radicalize people in ways that I think can be anti-Semitic. Like there, you know, you see the way in which people interact with this. And I think if you're coming from a place of, you know, just general ignorance about this, it is hard to blame some someone uh, for making rhetorical mistakes, I would call them, like uh, saying Jews instead of Zionists, talking about the Jews, or or like, you know, uh, repeating sort of uh, tropes and whatnot. Um, and I think that when that stuff kind of happens, especially if the person doesn't know any Jews, Israel and their Hezbaris, one of the things they try to do is make being supportive of Israel and being Jewish synonymous, like basically the same thing. So in selling that and in marginalizing the voices of uh, Jews who are critical of Israel, um, it can cause people to be like, these damn Jews are trying to, you know, they're all together doing a genocide. And like one of the reasons why I think I wanted to speak out about this was because that narrative is bullshit because Jews um, often uh, and forever, I mean, for at least the existence of Israel and the existence of Zionism have debated Israel, have talked shit about Israel. And a lot of the times it's been behind closed doors. A lot of the times it's been, you know, something that you don't want to share with the rest of the world because you're afraid that the rest of the world, it's like a betrayal of other Jewish people. And you're afraid of like, well, you know, we, we don't want to give them a reason to hate Jews. Um, so, you know, we got to keep this to ourselves. Um, but then it just, it comes to a point at which like you, you know, if you don't see any, uh, Jewish voices who are critical of Israel, you start seeing people who just, you know, they get more and more radicalized to the idea that like, the Jews are a, you know, monolith who all support Israel and will, you know, um, they're a fifth column who will, you know, try to take over governments. It just like starts spinning out. And like for me, one of the like kind of best genre of message that I've received from people who listen to this podcast has been them saying, thank you for doing this <laughs> because I I didn't know that there were Jews out there who, um, who believed the same things that I believed. And, uh, I started to feel myself getting, you know, a little bit uncomfortable with some of the beliefs I was starting to, to have about Jewish people or about Israel and whatnot. And, uh, I, I think it, you know, it's, you know, goes hand in hand with the fight against, uh, you know, Zionism and racism is also a fight against anti-Semitism. You know, it's uh, it is they are inextricably linked because, you know, we we are against racism, period, whether it's Israeli racism against Palestinians or, you know, European Christians racism against Jews. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's my thought on that. Yeah, I mean, I all great thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I mean, this does make me think about, you know, it's it's completely understandable both that you know jews who are asking questions are feeling lonely right because there is such a systematic 
um, attack on critical Jewish voices inside yeah. Jewish communities and and a, a very aggressive attempt, even as our movements are growing so much and we have Jews speaking out all over the world to continue to like try to to reinforce this hegemonic narrative in view. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just like, as you were speaking, and then like, it's also understandable why people are so confused about anti-Semitism right now, because some of the groups that are, you know, the the loudest and the most powerful and well-funded, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking right now about a group like the Anti-Defamation League, they only make this problem a million times worse. Absolutely. And yeah. it's, you know, it you can't help but feel sometimes like maybe this is really good for their business model, you know? Yeah. Um, keeping I mean, Jews scared and paranoid <clears throat> like keeps keeps the doors open. And one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I mean you bring up the ADL, and I think that is uh, something that I've I've wanted to cover more on the show. But like I what I find particularly. Um, I don't know, disgusting uh, and also uh, like slightly terrifying about it is that the ADL um, was not originally a Zionist like group. It, it, it did not exist for, uh, you know, perpetuating the existence and security of Israel. Um, there's actually like, I will just say there's this new book that just came out called Our Palestine Question, mm. Our Palestine Question. Uh, the professor's name is uh, Jeffrey Levin. Mm -hmm. um, he's a professor at Emory, and it it's a it actually talks about the history of dissenting voices within the American Jewish community since the founding of the state. And and like there's just so much really rich, um, yeah, history, history about yeah. how these organizations, groups today, <clears throat> like the the ADL and the AJC, that are so lockstep with the Israeli government, yeah, like that really had real questions about what is this going to be and even like the reform movement right what is this going to mean about what is it going to mean you know about our position on refugees we have communities like american right. jews were so close to the refugee experience how do we relate to the palestinian refugee crisis i mean i like right. conversations that you can't even imagine yeah. today right. even having those conversations in the community or like what are people going to think about our loyalty as Americans, right. like it, maybe this is going to risk people thinking we have dual loyalty, which is this classic anti-Semitic idea. Right. Like these are these were actual conversations taking place in the community, uh, you know, seventy-five yeah. years ago, even fifty years ago. Yeah. That these organizations have worked very, very hard to like marginalize, and it's and it's really meaningful to see that there are people who are trying to bring these stories back to the fore to to remind us that it's not just this like new youth-led movement that we have in the streets today but actually there's like a real lineage that we're connected to 100%. that has always existed in our community yeah yeah and and it's you know uh it's not a history that is told at all because of the fact that you know you're it's as far as most people are concerned um you know at least in the jewish community when it comes to the subject of israel it's like We've rewritten the history of, um, you know, Zionism to not just be this, you know, uh, early 20th century creation, but um, some sort of like an integral part to Judaism and to the history of Jews um, uh, as if, you know, this state had existed, um, you know, this entire time. We just hadn't yet 
come around to it. Um, and so it makes the idea of talking about criticism of Israel and these like questions about like, you know, what are people going to say about dual, dual loyalty or like the fifth column trope that we get? Um, like it it just changes the history to be like, no, 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 Jews have never talked about that. Jews have only ever supported Israel even before there was the modern state of Israel. Um, but like groups like the ADL are interesting to me because of the fact that they served what I would consider like a pretty, like, uh, like a pretty important purpose of like documenting uh, anti-Semitism. And they, they were uh, essentially a Jewish civil rights group um, for a, a long portion of their history. And, you know, they continue to this day to, uh, you know, be there to say something when like Charlottesville happens or when someone, you know, desecrates uh, a graveyard with an, a swastika, a Jewish graveyard with a swastika or whatnot. Um, but more and more in the last few decades, the ADL has turned to a one of a handful of powerful um, Israel advocacy groups in America that we've come to the point at which they, they will run cover for anti-Semites um, like Elon Musk, for example, um, because at the end of the day, the, uh, you know, Elon is going to support Israel and he's going to, you know, go there and say like, yeah, we got to kill all the Palestinians. It's like, okay, cool. You know, as long as they're doing that, that's fine. And, I, and I'd say that puts us in a pretty dangerous position because advocating for Jews where they live, <laughs> like in America, seems to be the purpose of something like the ADL uh, at at one point. It seems like w w maybe part of their original mission statement as opposed to doing uh, advocacy for a foreign government, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that Elon Musk, like the whole dynamic with him is like, such a scandal and it's yeah it's crazy that it really hasn't gone like you know i feel like there's this thing that happens um for those of us like on the jewish left who are trying to kind of talk about these things where we're like um hello like the most powerful man in the world like has bought this platform is using it to unleash like straight just, white nationalists like straight just the no filter white nationalists yep. yeah yep and it's like then you know it's like the idea that it only bears like you know a passing mention that that this person um i mean and specifically i'll say like he had this this incident uh where um i'm now gonna forget the actual tweet but mm -hmm. there were it was like oh, pretty soon yeah you have it you no, know uh, yeah yeah no i'm i'm i i i vaguely remember uh the tweet was basically there was this incredibly anti-semitic i remember that much yeah just like i mean textbook like yes. you yeah. know like really a, a case study in just you know the most vile ideas about jews that you could have and right. he was like this is the truth right mm -hmm. and like adl kind of put out like a, a slap on the wrist statement about that i think but then the next day Elon was like, I'm going to ban River to the Sea right. on X. Right. Right. And, and, and like, and then Jonathan Greenblatt was the head of the ADL was like, wow, thank you so much. You yeah. know, you're, and and yes. then like, quote Elon tweeted Musk him did, and be like, this guy, there's one thing he loves. It's us Jews. Yeah. And, 
just and then like yeah. you know prime minister netanyahu hosted a whole event with him so it's like you see the way that like the the israel advocacy network that ranges from like you know pro-israel groups in the u.s to like actual israeli government mm. are actively whitewashing and laundering the reputations of some of the most powerful anti-semites in the world yeah. as long as they help shill for israeli apartheid and help yeah. advance yeah. these really you know draconian oh nice yeah so i i i have the tweet Pull it up. uh i've pulled it up um and it said uh some white nationalists who they all have blue check marks now they're all paying eight dollars a month to elon musk the richest man in the world so that they can spew this kind of shit and get it seen um okay Jewish communities have been pushing uh, the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want uh, people to stop using against them. I am deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest uh, shit now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing uh, XYZ. Um, looks like it was cut off. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it was cut off. Uh, and Elon Musk just wrote, uh, you have said the actual truth. This kind of idea of like, Jews being um, uh, like deep down uh, having a hand in sort of anti-white uh, like, I don't know, organizations and movements, you know, like Jews are trying to uh, get immigrants. Subvert from... the societies that we yes. live in. Yes. Nefarious, Subvert... controlling behind the scenes schemers. Right. With, like old school European like anti-Semitism. Boilerplate textbook, exactly. And uh, Elon Musk saying, you have said the truth is just like, I mean, that's a horrifying thing for, I mean, anyone to agree with, let alone the richest man in the fucking world. Like the fact and that he is, is buying into that is wild. Hey everyone, Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th. Why March 17th, you ask? Well, <laughs> because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline, and now I'm asking for you to... Do it again. That's right. If you're in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th, 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesack.com and uh, buying your tickets. Do it. And if you can't go, hey, maybe you have friends who are in the area and you you know, you know can tell them like, hey, you like comedy. Come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife who also does a podcast. It'll be great. So yes, please come. Sacramento Punchline, March 17th. That's a Sunday at 7 p.m. Come, enjoy, laugh, love. All right. The, po the point really is, is that you see... Uh, you know, Jonathan Greenblatt at the ADL kind of continuously make the choice to whitewash people in power who actually like say anti-Semitic things or are, you know, 
helping mainstream anti-Semitism in different ways yeah. with like a very polite slap on the wrist. Oh, I know him. I'm sure he didn't really mean it. Yeah. And then most of where they actually use their muscle is on like just trying to obliterate the reputations of, you know, left wing people of color, women of color, Palestinians, mm -hmm. and, you know, just like smearing and attacking the Palestine movement in just, you know, the grossest ways. Um, once yeah. again, not really trying to win the arguments, like just attacks and smears. And, you know, more importantly, we should say, because you brought up the the kind of history of the ADL as this organization that is, um, you know, actually has like ostensibly a role in like being an anti-extremism organization and being like a leading source mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, violent extremism. Like we're seeing now reports coming out of their own researchers who are saying, you know, first of all, the, the, the Jewish Currents reported uh, about, I think about a month ago or so about actually a, a top executive who was brought to the ADL to combat online extremism, who left the organization because of the way it was handling Elon Musk and the whole Twitter thing. Like, I mean, people within the organ, there's just like yeah. a ton of dissent from within the organization. And then people who are in the like extremism research uh, departments saying to reporters that the way the head of this organization is conducting himself and also like the way this organization has prioritized Israel advocacy over fighting extremism is actually undermining the credibility like of their work and of their 100%. mission. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they put out this report about a month ago as well that uh, was like the latest count of anti-Semitic incidents and at least 40% <clears throat> of the incidents in that report were uh, so-called anti-Israel marches right. and events. And so yes. it's like, how can you even trust the data? Like, right. we don't know that, like, you can't trust their, the data that they're putting out on anti-Semitism because so many things that they lump into that are actually have to do with Israel. Right, right. And and that is that is an actual material danger, you know. The, Correct. The idea that... Um, it makes people not believe that anti-Semitism exactly. is real. It makes people not believe that yes. Jews, like, have risks to our safety. Yes. And the fact that, like, the most influential organization who is ostensibly like shaping the public conversation on this mm -hmm. continues to discredit themselves actually yeah. endangers us. Yes, 100%. It's it's like one of the reasons why I think it's like important to talk about this is because we are not living, you know, in this, you know, this idea that like um being against Israel is automatically being against Jews, um, is automatically anti-Semitism. You, you, and, and this idea of just calling anyone who is criticizing Israel an, an anti-Semite up and including <laughs> the, Jews. the Jews and people like Aaron Bushnell, <clears throat> Bushnell, who set himself on fire and being like, well, this is, you know, people who are doing this clearly, you know, hate Jews that much. It waters down the meaning of anti-Semitism to a point where you find people who are just sick of, like, they, they're immune to the smear. So, therefore, anyone who is called an anti-Semite 
it's just like that people are scoffing and, you know, throwing their hands up and going like, ah, bullshit, I don't believe any of you, which is a danger. That is a material, actual, like that puts Jews in danger in the world. And uh, th like having the ADL play along with that and like be a part of that is an insane thing. It's just, it's, it blows my mind. And I think it blows a lot of people's minds in general, the way that like, you know, um, when people say something like, uh, Zionism uh, and the state of Israel are uh, anti-Semitic. <laughs> like people just yeah, go I, like, like, oh, that what? How can that be? You know? Also, like, let's say that the every the inverse of what you said is also true, which is that the fact that these organizations continue to say any attack on Israel is an attack on Jews. And if you don't like Israel, you don't like Jews, then also reinforces this idea that all Jews are right. responsible for what is happening. Yes. in Israel right now. And so not only does it make people not believe that anti-Semitism is a real thing, but then it makes people think that Jews are a legitimate target for their rage at the right. Jewish state. Right, right. Because I mean, you, you- doubly endangers us. Exactly. And uh, it is, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend to be altruistic here. Like there's a percentage of me that's like, you know, uh, I don't like anti-Semitism. And that's a big reason why I'm talking about about it you know it's like it is it is also about self-preservation you know the, the the you know i think it's one of the beautiful traditions of jews throughout the world has been um advocating uh against racism in societies and advocating um for you know uh, groups minority groups living in other states uh to have the same rights and protections as anyone else and uh, it is, you know, that includes Jews and it includes all sorts of groups. But uh, the way in which, you know, Jews are attacked for being anti-Israel is always, I think, the most um, interesting thing to to me and, and to, uh, I, I think, a lot of our listeners um, is just like seeing the way in which um a Jew will be torn down by, you know, these institutions um, and Zionist institutions and Zionist uh, advocacy groups and Israel adv advocacy groups, even if they're not Jewish. And that leads me uh, to this recent thing that happened with the um, the film No Other Land um, won Best Documentary at uh, uh, in the Berlinale. The Berlin Berlinale. <laughs> I don't think we're pronouncing it right, but yeah. No, yeah, you say it's it with an Italian festival. accent. Yeah, uh, Berlinale. <laughs> I think it's in Germany. Yeah, well, I'm still going to do it with the, you know, uh, Italian accent because it's more fun. Um, and uh, one of the uh, films, uh, I think, directors, now this was made by a collective of both uh, Jewish Israelis uh, and um, Palestinians who uh, made this, and it's a documentary about Israeli apartheid. Um, and uh, so Yuval Abraham, uh, when they won the award, um, he went on stage and he gave uh, a little speech that um, has since, number one, went viral, and number two, um, caused him a bit of a headache. So I'm going to play a little bit of that for y'all. I want to say we are we are standing in front of you now. Me and Basel are the same age. I am Israeli, Basel is Palestinian. And in two days, we will go back to a land where we are not equal. 
I'm living under a civilian law and Basel is under military law. We live 30 minutes from one another, but I have voting rights. Basel is not having voting rights. I'm free to move where I want in this land. Basel is, like millions of Palestinians, locked in the occupied West Bank. This situation of apartheid between us, this inequality, it has to end. I want to say we are, we are standing so in front of he gave that speech uh, after winning uh, this award, and um, you know the uh, it didn't go great for him uh, because now he is receiving death threats, um, and he was planning on returning back to Israel um, after this, um, but he has not yet because of the amount of pushback that he has gotten um, from both. Um, Israelis from uh, Jews in Israel, as well as Germans who are going after him, which is, I think, one of the more mind blowing things is just like when a a German official feels comfortable enough um, to criticize Jews as being anti Semitic, and um, you uh, you sent me this um, article that was in the. Uh, the Guardian that I'm going to read some of. So, yeah, I'm. Go ahead. I mean, I was just going to say, like, there's so many levels of, you know, uh, yes, these people should be like totally humiliated and roasted for the just like desecration and yeah. and, and like just like complete upside down land that is the way that the the state of Germany has like completely. Um, offloaded its guilt about the Holocaust into this intensely pro-Israel, intensely anti-Palestinian. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I think you're about to read Yuval's statement, you know, after he was called, he was called anti-Semitic mm -hmm. by multiple politicians in Germany. Yeah. And um, his, his statement and response is just so powerful. So you should just read it. Yeah. So Israeli director receives death threats after officials call Berlin Film Festival anti-Semitic. Um, <clears throat> an Israeli filmmaker who won one of the top prizes at the Berlin, Berlin Film Festival has said German officials' description of the award ceremony as anti-Semitic has led to death threats and the physical intimidation of family members, causing him to hold off plans to return to Israel. Um, Yuval Abraham, 29, was uh, on Saturday awarded the Berlinale's Best Documentary Film uh, Award for No Other Land, which charts the eradication of Palestinian villages in uh, Mas uh, Masafuryata, uh, I, is that, I pronounce Masafriata. it. Yeah, Masafriata. I'd said it close enough. Close in enough, the, yeah. In the West Bank. Um, <clears throat> Abraham's acceptance speech, which was in which he decried a situation of apartheid and called for a ceasefire in Gaza, was one of several moments during the closing ceremony in which the filmmakers expressed solidarity with Palestine. Uh, it sparked outcry in German media the following day with several politicians uh, alleging the speeches uh, had been anti-Semitic. To stand on German soil as the son of, a ho of Holocaust survivors and call for a ceasefire, and then to be labeled as anti-Semitic is not only outrageous, it is also literally putting Jewish lives in danger, uh, Abraham told The Guardian. I don't know what Germany is trying to do with us, he added. If this is Germany's way of dealing with its guilt over the Holocaust, they are emptying it of all meaning. Um, Mic drop. Yeah, I mean, and I think that is like so 
important. That last bit is so important because you see the way in which Germany is, um, you know, invokes the Holocaust um, for its Israel advocacy. Um, and I, I can't think of anything more anti-Semitic than watering down the Holocaust. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't think of anything more anti-Semitic than changing, um, than, than being a German person, <laughs> a German official, and trying to tell the son of a Holocaust survivor, um, you know, what you're doing is very Holocausty. You know, as a German, I think I know a thing or two about the Holocaust. And um, that speech you said, wow, big yikes, dog. Like, you know, th these guys are, are, you know, when you do this kind of like re revisionism and you also like end up trying to put a Jew's life in danger, you know, in order to show that you are the most pro-Israel. Like, I look at that and I just go like, we are living in like upside down land, man. Like this is fucking insane. It's just crazy. I'm gonna just add like one other detail to the story, which is at the bottom of the same article that mm -hmm. you were just reading from, but yeah. it's like, it's just so out, just absurd. Like, first mm -hmm. of all, like, you know, Yuval was attacked for also speaking about the reality that Basel, his, uh, you know, partner in this film they're both journalists who write for 972 magazine yeah like he's he's also talking about the the hor first of all the horrifying reality that Basel lives under that's the subject of the film right, right. and like that he's also worried about Basel's safety for the you know potential backlash from this and and in response to all this backlash which has now included calls for the resignation of the Minister of State for Culture. Mm -hmm. Her name is Claudia Roth, she, um, who I guess there was footage of her clapping at the event. Yeah. So now there have been calls, and I just wanna like draw the connection. It's like, we see this happening in the US also, which yes. is like these calls to defund culture, higher education, every, all the state culture in Germany is, is state funded. Right. So they're always trying to get this culture minister fired. Um, and she then puts out a statement clarifying that her applause was directed at the Jewish Israeli journalist and filmmaker. <laughs> I clap for and the not, Jew. And not at the Palestinian, which is like, it's so racist. Like you said that out loud. <laughs> like like that, that's, your, that's your damage control is being like, listen, listen, I, I, I know it looks bad when I clapped. Uh, you know, during him talking about apartheid in Israel and, uh, you know, uh, um, a ceasefire and all of that stuff. But I want to be clear. I wasn't listening to the Jew talking. I don't know the Jewish words. Uh, all I saw was a Jew and I said, yes, yes, I love Jews. And when the Palestinian was talking, I said, uh-uh, not from me, Jew hater. Not from me. Like, this is, this is, what kind of society is this? It's really cartoonish. I'm not going to even try to editorialize because you, you did great. <laughs> uh, just listen, I can't I can't end a bad Hasbara podcast without eventually doing an accent. And uh, yes. I'm, I'm glad it does this, seem to be a it's a theme with me. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'm not good at them, but I enjoy. We them. got a lot in here on this episode. Yeah, we got a few. I got Italian in somehow. Um, 
but yeah, like that, that it's just so it's, it is so detached from reality. It's so detached from like what I think any normal person would look at. Like, no, what normal person is going to see that statement and go, oh, okay. I was worried that you were doing something racist, but then I found out you didn't, you specifically didn't clap for the Palestinian and now I feel better. Like, yeah, it's like maybe you didn't learn a lot of lessons yeah. that you should have learned from. Yeah, it seems like your history has taught you nothing. Um, and, you know, I, it's I, I feel like, you know, when I talk to, um, I mean, especially like the Germans who listen to this podcast, um, you, you see the amount of kind of like repression in terms of like uh, um, expressing any feelings whatsoever of discomfort with the idea that Israel is just kind of like allowed to do whatever it wants because of, you know, and Germans aren't allowed to say anything because of their history and whatnot. And like, I feel, honestly, I feel bad, you know, I feel, I, I feel bad because, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, I, I think you should be able to, with absolute moral clarity, be a German citizen and be like, genocide is bad. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, I can see people being like, no, you guys don't say nothing. Just, you know, like I, I would rather, it's like, I'd rather they were just. Uh, sitting this one out. Sitting this one out. Like it, th that's the best thing that they could do. It's literally the best thing they could do. But instead, you know, they've, you know, they are just, they've pinned a button on their lapel that says the most uh, Israel advocacy. Uh, they joined Israel at the ICJ. Yes, they did. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that Germany is known for, it's being... Defending know, genocide. Defending genocide at a war crimes trial. So, listen, they have experience. I get it. You go, you call on your people who, have been, who know their shit. Um, but, yeah. So, listen. That's the world that we live in. Uh, it's a sad one and it's got a lot of tragedy, but you know what it also has? It has awesome people like Simone Zimmerman who are out here, um, you know, uh, speaking truth to power. And I don't mean that facetiously. You, you do great work and I'm so glad that I got to have you on this podcast, uh, after it's years It's an of honor. I've been waiting for it. my, my moment. Yes. Your moment has come to be on a podcast that is not nearly as successful as, the ones you've done before the other appearances which by the way every appearance that you've made on those other things has been great you're fantastic i just in case you don't know you you are great and uh keep up the good work thank you can't wait to come back here hell yeah come back anytime uh where can people find you and find your work um i'm on twitter and i'm on instagram Hell yeah. Uh, my handle is the same at both places. It's Simone R. Zim. Simone R. Zim. Check her out. Twitter, Instagram, and uh, yeah, follow her And you can watch Israelism. It's available to rent anywhere in the world yes. right now. And we're also having lots of uh, screenings uh, all around the world. Wonderful. So it's a great, it's it. really, it is a great documentary. And I think uh, it couldn't have come at a more um opportune time to use that crass word but like the the fact that it came out now 
um, while this is all going on. It really it came uh, out actually a year ago. Oh, did it? It, pre- it premiered a whole year ago now. Mm. Um, but yes, but it wasn't it is... available for rent until very recently. No, it was doing the festival circuit at right. the beginning, and it was doing campus screenings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope that it's a, a tool for people to have hard conversations about bad Hasbara in yes. their communities. Yes. I mean, it really is like, uh, for me, it was a great thing to watch for um I don't know, just like putting in context the the level of Hasbara that we are inundated with when we are younger and the institutions that are trying to keep us uh, in this bubble and um, and seeing people break out of it in a multitude of ways um, and some ways more tragic than the others, like, you know, the one subject who joined the IDF and saw what that was actually like um but like seeing the way in which people come to like realize that everything they've been told is lies is i think it's important because it also i think humanizes um you know uh i I think a lot of us who are you know having to deal with people thinking we're a monolith and that we are you know like you know how could you you know uh just blindly support israel and i think it puts into context like dog we were born supporting israel (laughs) like it is it is not a it is not an easy thing to uh to break out this way yeah i was born this way exactly (laughs) um but yeah it is it is a great film and and you are you're fantastic in it and uh you're a fantastic guest thank you for coming on thanks matt Thanks for this fantastic podcast to make us all feel a little bit more sane. I hope so. At the very least, I hope people just enjoy me doing shitty accents. Patreon.com slash badhasbara. Please join. Um, And uh, you'll see there's a new tier for $10. I will shout you out on the podcast. Uh, that th- those are coming. Uh, I'll 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 collect those soon. But please, uh, you know, join. It's listen. It's a it's the way I uh, can support myself and continue doing this. Um, but if not, you know, also I just enjoy you guys listening. Um, Badhasbara at gmail dot com for all of your questions, comments, and concerns. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening and until next time from the river to the sea what the fuck is going on in germany jumping jacks was us push-ups was us krav maga us all karate us taking molly us michael jackson us yamaha keyboards us jar jar binks not us Andor was us heath ledger joker us endless red success Shit.